Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, I want you to grow, go over to uh, Genesis. Not too hard to get to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And go to chapter 37. As you're turning over there, came upon a story of a king who wanted to find out which one was worse. He wanted to know if stinginess was worse than envy. And so he decided to call upon the stingiest person in his kingdom and, and the most envious person in his kingdom. And he got them after he did a search. He took some polls. He figured out people nominated others. Oh, boy. And eventually he had them before him and he said to them, hey, look, I'm going to do something. Whatever you want, like whatever you ask me, I'll give you. But I'm going to give your neighbor, the person next to you, twice as much. Sounds good, huh? So he wanted to find out which one would answer which way and what was worse. And so the stingy man felt very uncomfortable. Because by asking for something, he would also be giving something away. And he does not like to give anything away, even if it's from the hands of another. And so he thought long and hard. Then he said to the king, I want nothing. I wish for nothing. Reasoning, if the king doesn't give me anything, he's certainly not going to give my neighbor anything else. And so when it came time for the envious man to have his turn and speak to the king, without hesitation, he did not have to think. He said immediately, please, king, I want you to take one of my eyes. Please take one of my eyes. Wow. And just like that, the king had his answer. Envy is far worse than stinginess. For envy works so insidiously in some that it's, they're even willing to suffer loss and pain, go through the ringer so that someone else may suffer more and be worse off. God of mercy. See, envy is a spiritual toxin that poisons our soul. It poisons our soul, and you know what? I think it poisons the church. It poisons our lives. You know, I find myself, well, I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said to her, sometimes I hate Instagram. I hate social media. Like, I really do don't, I don't like it. And you know what? It's not like I'm on there looking at, like, you know, something that might really get you. I'm looking at, you know, another church or pastor who's preaching and it's like an incredible message and it's all fire. And then I'm like sitting there and I'm thinking about this. I'm like, where do they get all these ideas? How do they put all that together? Like, I can't believe that they did that. This guy has a boat in the middle of his sanctuary and it's raining as he's preaching. Some of y'all might know who I'm talking about. I love, I've been blessed by that pastor and I love that. Me- that was a great message, but here's the deal. I'm thinking about like, how the heck do I do that? And then, like, you know, my microphone isn't working. This guy's got rain in his church. So, just got to keep it real. Envy is a toxin, and I know it's crept into my life. Harold Coffin defined it as the art of counting other fellows' blessings instead of your own. It's the art of counting another fellow's blessings instead of your own. 
And you notice what they have. You notice where they are. You notice, uh, you know, what's going on, what they're skilled at, what they're doing. And this is an art that the brothers of Joseph were very skilled at. These guys were artists. They were artists when it came to this. So I want you to grab your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And if you're there, say amen. If you're not, give me a moment. I got to get rid of this thing here because this not working mic is going to dangle all over the place. And it's going to bother me. Hold up. Technical difficulties. I could find it. Sorry about that. So as you're in Genesis chapter 37, I want you to take a look at this. This is the story of Joseph. We're going to look at a couple of different things here in this passage. Um, But I want you to take a look at how these guys are very good at envy. And as you're, you're looking at this passage... You know, you might be familiar with his story. If you're not familiar with Joseph's story, it's a truly a, a rags-to-riches type of story. This is a guy who goes through the ringer. He goes through a lot of difficulties and challenges. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, he has highs and lows, uh, including slavery, imprisonment, and high public office. He experiences a whole lot of things. And so there's a lot in his story, but it's a story that's also enshrouded in envy. It tells us in verse 11, and his brothers envied him. Joseph's brothers envied him. So today I want to look at a couple of things as we consider this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are good, that you are for us. And I thank you that you speak things into our lives that are active, relevant, and for now. Lord, I pray, let us not walk through this saying, man, my brother or sister or husband or wife or child, my neighbor, my boss should have heard this message. But I pray, God, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that it would land exactly where it needs to land in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So whether you're uh, knowledgeable of this story or not, we're not going to go through his whole biography and everything that happened with Joseph, but just suffice us to know that this is a man who grew up in a family and uh, he went through life. And life was messy. Life was complicated. There was victories. There was struggles. There was highs and lows. And he went through all these different things. But we can trace back that inside of his family, envy was running rampart. Envy was active and well inside of Joseph's family. First thing I want you to understand and I want you to see from chapter 37 is that envy runs within this family. The context is family. The context, the the atmosphere, the setting, the plot is family. Joseph tells us right here, uh, verse 1 of 37, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. It's interesting that when the Bible begins telling the story 
of Jacob's lineage, it begins with Joseph. Now, if you are familiar with the genealogies of scriptures, um, if you know, you know, this person begot that person who begot that person, if you start going through all of those things that sometimes when we're reading our one-year Bible, we start dozing off and we kind of like, what are these names? I can't even pronounce half of them. If you know anything about the, the lineage and genealogy of Jacob, you will know right from the bat that Joseph is not his firstborn son. He's not. He's not his second. He's not the third. He's all the way down there at number 11. He's the 11th child. And so I find it interesting that here we got the lineage of this family starting to be described. It's going to tell the story of Joseph and his dreams and everything that happened with Joseph. But it begins by telling that he's not number one for some reason, although he's not. That's foreshadowing right there, guys. Foreshadowing. Sometimes you can find out, hey, we're going in a bad direction. Something's not going to go right over here. And so you would expect the author to have mentioned Reuben or to have mentioned Simeon or to have mentioned Judah or any of the others in between. But no, he jumps right to number 11 and mentions Joseph. And Envy is about to run into this family. Uh, matter of fact, if you think about it, Envy has been running rampart, rampant in this family. It's been running wild. In this family, if you stop and think about this and you and you go to read the scriptures, you'll find out that it didn't just show up when Joseph had his brothers, but there was envy with his mother. There was envy with some of his other family members. We know that from scriptures when Jacob is to be born, he is a twin. He's got a twin brother named Esau and Esau is coming out first and Jacob is there clutching at his heels and we know that all throughout their growing up, Rachel, not Rachel, I'm sorry, Rebecca, Rebecca, his mother, is very, you know, partial towards this son. Not so much Esau, but man, I like Jacob. And so she is very partial to him. And so she goes ahead and, and is always making preferential treatment. She's always doing special things. It comes to a point where she devises a plan and she says to, to him, hey, you're going to fool your, your dad. Your dad's about to give a blessing to one of you guys. It really belongs to your brother. He's the firstborn son. But hey, let's, let's come up with a plan. Let's go ahead and make you smell like your brother, look like your brother. And your dad doesn't have really good eyesight right now. He's going to bless you. He's asked your brother to go out there and hunt some game and then prepare some food and bring that favorite meal that your dad loves and then after that he's going to pray a blessing over you you know what let's switch sons here for a second and she caused it so that Jacob received the blessing of his brother instead of what was supposed to happen envy reared its ugly head in Rebecca's life and Joseph was aware of that I'm pretty sure that that conversation and family history and drama had some way, somehow, made its way to the dinner side table, and they probably knew about that. But not only that, we see it in the life of Jacob as you progress from there. When Jacob goes to live with his uncle Laban, we see that envy rears its ugly head once again. And Jacob is being blessed by God in favor, and so Laban, his uncle, starts getting jealous and envious of him because he has better flocks and greater flocks and bigger herds and all that stuff. And Jacob is the recipient of Laban's envy. Envy is running in this family. And now here we have these brothers who are 
envious, as verse 11 says, of their brother Joseph. But if you go back in the family tree, it's not just with dad, not with mom, not just, you know, with his uncles. But if you trace it back, envy goes all the way back to their first family. It goes back up their family tree and it comes to Adam and Eve when they had kids. We talked about this when we were preaching on anger, that envy made its way into the heart of Cain. When Cain brought an offering to God, it was not as pleasing as Abel's offering. And Cain was envious of his brother. He got frustrated at his brother. He raised in a hand in anger towards his brother and eventually committed murder. So envy is wrapped up within this family. But hey, uh, can we just say, as representatives for us, envy runs rampant in the human family. It runs rampant in my house, in your house. And now some of us might say, not really. I'm pretty good. I'm good at this. I don't, I don't fall prey to envy like you're talking about, Pastor. I look at those posts. I saw that crazy cool message. And I saw these pastors. And I saw that friend and that colleague and that coworker. And I'm jumping for joy. Things are awesome. And I'm good. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do it as the, the envious man that the king went to search for who asked, please take one of my... I don't do that stuff. Well, can, can you just indulge me for a second? What happens? What happens uh, if you all of a sudden go to work tomorrow and you get the, um, a pink slip and they tell you that, you know, they're downsizing and you're losing your job? But then you go on social media later and you find out that the other person in your department, the person who sat in the cubicle right next to you, they got promoted? You're probably, you're probably not going to feel envy at that moment, right? You're not. No, right? And, oh, let's, let's make it a little bit serious, right? You, you just experienced a miscarriage. And your friend calls you with the great news that they're having twins. You're definitely not going to experience any envy at that point. I'm not saying that it always happens. But we're tempted. It's there. We, we go through whatever the scenario may be. Just put yourself in that shoe. We're, we love to go ahead and... Uh, help people when they're down, right? Like Paul tells us that we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We love that scripture. It's beautiful, but when it comes time for us to actually live that out, it's a whole different story. And we will love to come alongside. We see someone breaking down in the service and they're there, they're having a moment, they're going through challenge in their family and they're struggling. We'll go and we'll put our arm around them and we'll pray with them and we'll celebrate them. Why? Because they're going through something difficult and we are not. But now when we have to go through the same situation, it becomes a lot harder for us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And this is something that's happening inside of this family. Because envy is running rampant inside of this family. It's something that happens within our lives. we got to stop and ask the question, is it happening within my home, my family, my work? Does it happen within the church? Sometimes I see it happen when somebody is elevated and exalted and another person, even within the context of the church body, they're like, how come that person gets this or does that or does this and does that and so on and so forth. And it's like, where is the celebration of rejoicing when others are rejoicing and where is the mourning when others are mourning? It's important. It ran rampant inside of this family. 
It sometimes run ramp, runs rampant inside of ours. Envy will approach us from whatever angle. It will take many different angles and come into our lives. And, you know, why does it get us to feel the way it does? Because at that very moment, it will amplify when we see someone else succeeding, when we see someone else receiving something else, when we see these things that surge in, in emotions of envy within us, it magnifies our failures or our perceived failures. Envy gets us to just focus and turn selfishly inward, and we turn to ourselves. Everything is about us. And in that moment, we can't see the reality that we're all flawed and failed people in some way, shape, or form. But we fixate on our failures and fixate on our perceived issues. And so when somebody else gets something or is blessed or prosperous or is successful, our tendency is to turn inward instead of outward and upward. It's to turn inward instead. And that's what envy will do. It runs rampant in their family, in my family, in our family. You keep looking here at verse 30, chapter 37. It will run rampant in his family. We see it happening within the brothers of Jacob and going through different things. But this is what it will also do. Envy will hitchhike a ride with any ride. It will hitchhike with any ride as long as it can make its way into your heart. It will take whatever car is available, whatever medium is possible. It will hitchhike a ride no matter what. And we see inside of the circumstances here, just in these texts, this is not exhaustive. You can, you can be stirred into envy a whole bunch of different ways. But if I look just at these guys, I see it here that, uh, number one, there is comparison becomes the vehicle that takes Joseph's brothers into envy. It tells us that Joseph, verse 2, is 17 years old. When Joseph was 17 years old, he is the, the youngest of his dad's children. His brothers, some of them, are probably decades older than he is. Here's a 17-year-old boy, and so there are some differences within this family, and they're not all the same people. And, oh, by the way, it tells us within the context of the Scriptures, if you look, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. This, the context is a family. There are four wives. Although Joseph, um, his mother was was the apple of his dad's eye, the one that he truly loved. There are still three other wives, and there's a total of 12 kids. Eventually, at this point, there's 11. There's going to be a 12th later on. But the deal is that this is happening within the context of family. And if you've got 12 brothers, if you've got 11 brothers, that's a recipe for some problems. It is. It's just a, there's, it's a recipe for some incredible moments and victories and, and incredible memories, but there is a recipe for, for problems. Why? Because brothers start comparing things. Bro brothers fight. Brothers roughhouse. Brothers, you know, they, they get into each other's business and all these different things. And so here we go. We have this 17-year-old young, youngling, okay? And there's something right there that's different between, he's the young guy, he's the, he's the youngest. Oh, he's daddy's spoiled young little guy. Okay, great. But there's also something else. If you go a couple chapters down to Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, we find out that Joseph was very handsome in appearance. He was very handsome in form and appearance. Now, we don't know anything about his other brothers. Were they like, ugly? <laughs> 
was, were any of them deformed in any way? Like, did it, was one of them short, other one tall? Like, like what's, what's, what's the deal? We don't know all the details, but we do know Joseph was very handsome in appearance and form. And so here's the youngling who is daddy's youngest, right? Like, I used to hate when I was a kid when my mom used to say to me, you're, you're old enough, you know better. Your brother who's nine years younger than you, okay? He gets away with things and you don't. He's the youngest. You, he doesn't know any better. You do, Brian. You know, it, it wasn't fair. I wish he was older because then we could really, you know, go at it sometimes. But we couldn't. It's all good. But yet, here's Joseph. He's the youngest and he's handsome. I don't know if they're insecure about their own looks. You know, I'm over here not chiseled, not lean, not nice. And here's little Joseph, handsome in form and handsome in appearance and young and he's youthful. He's got all this energy and I'm over here busting my chops, working in the fields. And look at him. He can do circles around. I don't know, but there is comparison, and comparison has crept into this family. It's hitched a ride, and it's going to take them to the place of envy. So comparison becomes a ride which envy will hitch onto, and it loves hitching uh, when it comes to you and I through, so I've already mentioned social media. That's an incredible place where it loves to play this hitching game. It says, hey, the car is open. The door is wide open. Come on, let's take a ride. Let's take a ride. We start looking at people as they're taking their vacation in the Maldives and they're on that boat or they're sipping that nice drink and you're over here slaving away at your lunch looking at your, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Comparison will hitch you with envy, take you to a place that you don't want to go. And so... That's one place, but if you look at his story, keep going. To, it says, Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father, verse 2 of chapter 37. Envy will hitch a ride on public perception, and the public perception that they had is that Joseph is a goody-two-shoes whistleblower. See, Joseph was 17, and here's an important thing. As, you know, have you noticed that, especially when you're younger, that people's acceptance is something that's really important to us? Have you ever noticed in your teenage child or in your kids, sometimes they will risk going against their own morality and a code of ethics because they don't want to be ostracized by their peer group. And so they will succumb to those things and do something different. Acceptance is something truly incredible. We all want to feel accepted, even if we're adults. We all want to feel like we are you know, included, accepted, wanted. And here is Joseph, who, being 17, would most likely have needed acceptance from his brothers. Probably is running around trying to compete and keep up with his brothers. Yet finds them to be slacking off or doing something that goes against his morality. Goes against his code of ethics. Goes against something that he's noticed maybe within his family. Hey, that is not the right way to do this. Man, my mom has made some true mistakes. My dad has made some blunders. I've seen my uncle mess things up. I've read the stories. I've heard the scriptures of where we have gone wrong with this whole thing of envy. And we are slacking off. There's something not right. And so Joseph, without malice in his heart, says, no, I will risk not being accepted and validated by my brothers to just say and do and defend what is right. And because he did so, his brothers had a perception of him. Here's the goody two-shoes. 
Here's the, the whistleblower brother who is going to do, you know, oh man, we've got to be careful what we do around him because he's going to tattletale on us. He is the rat within the family. He will rat you out. And so, he gets this perception. And that was enough to lead them into envy. See, if you're going to do what is right, I commend you for that. Just, but just be, just be warned. Just be wary. Okay? The Bible tells us that we are to live above reproach. There's no doubt about that. We are to avoid all the appearances of evil. Amen to that. But just be aware that the minute you do so, you are painting a target on your back. I'm not telling you that so that you don't do it. I'm just telling you that so that you can be aware. And now you can just say, Lord, fight my battles for me. Lord, fight my battles for me. Help me to remain steadfast in the way I should go. Help me, Lord God, to do what is right and let you take care of all the details around that decision. Joseph decided to go against what was wrong, and he spoke up, and that bred envy within his brothers, and it led them to the place they ended up, which wasn't good. Envy will hitch a ride on comparisons, on your social uh, you know, perception, but it will also... Hitch a ride on partiality. It definitely hitched a ride here. And like, I'm not, you know, as experienced as many of you guys in being a parent, but man, I read this story and I'm like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. It tells us that, verse three, now Israel, that is Jacob, right? Because he gets a name change later, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You think that by child 11, he would have figured some of these details out. But yet Jacob is here preferring Joseph over all his other sons. He gives them this robe that's not the typical clothes of the day. He gives them this robe that is basically sending a message that, hey, I care more about this son than I care about the rest of y'all. And hey, Simeon and Reuben and, and, and Judah, I know the line of succession and all that other stuff. And we know this because if you look at the Chronicles chapter 5 later on, we are told that this, is what event, this was the intention of jo Jacob and this is what he actually did down the road. He gave Joseph the inheritance of the firstborn. He gave him and his children the birthright of the firstborn. It did not go to the firstborn. It went to the 11th born. It went to Joseph. I saw a reel on Instagram, okay, going back to Instagram, of a dad who was there sitting, watching some TV, hanging out, and then two of his children come into the room and they need some help. Both of these children would like to have a jar of pickles opened for them. And so the boy shows up in the room and he says, hey, dad, can you open this jar of pickles? I can't do this. And he's having a hard time. So dad says, he pauses the TV, looks over at the sun, and he says, all right, grab it like this. Now ch twist it like that. Use this for leverage, blah, blah, blah. And then the kid does it. And he says, see, I knew you could do it. Awesome. See you later. And then the little girl comes in. When his daughter shows up, he says, dad, I need some help opening the jar of pickles. The dad says, okay, sweetie, come here. He grabs it. He opens it and says, here you go, princess. Don't do it. 
Don't do it. She needs to learn how to do it too. Teach her the leverage. Teach her the skills. Be proud of her for doing it as well. Don't show partial treatment because it is a vehicle that the enemy will use to take you into that place of envy and put it into your heart. It happens. Now, I know as parents we say, that's why I'm so happy I have a boy and a girl because I tell my son, you're my favorite son. And I tell my daughter, you're my favorite daughter. And I can say those words, and it can be 100% true, and I'm not causing any problems. Partiality will take you into that place. What else? If I look at his story, I can, I can just see how Joseph didn't really help his circumstance either. He's young, 17, and he's naive. So uh, envy will also hitch a ride on naivety. I don't know if I'm saying it right, naivety whatever, however you say it, but he's naive, he's gullible, he's, he's young, he doesn't know much yet, and so Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Verse 6, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamt, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, what do you think they're going to say right after hearing that? Wow, tell us more. Man, you're so awesome. I'm so proud to be your brother. Thank you for showing me up. No. And to make matters worse, he goes and has another dream, and then he includes his mom and his dad in the picture as well. And says, hey, mom, you guys were in this next dream too. And you bowed down to my star. The sun, the moon, and all of the other things, they all bowed down to me. Isn't this cool? In his naiveness, this young man, Joseph, allowed the doors of the vehicle to open up to their brothers. And they just hopped in the ride. And they said, we're going full force, full throttle into this place of envy. We do not like you, Joseph. We don't want you, Joseph. We are not happy for your success, Joseph. Nowhere could these brothers look at what was happening. Wow, he's getting dreams. These dreams are kind of prophetic. Things are kind of happening. Like, why is it that there's all this going on? And, and there's been a lot of tension and struggles within our family. Why is it this is happening? They could not see that maybe God was working something in his life. And God had a plan for him. Just like God had a plan for them, they could not perceive it. Why? Because envy had taken hold of their hearts and they were leading them to a place where they would be okay with suffering if it meant that their little brother Joseph could suffer a little bit too. And we know the story. If you don't know the story, you can read the story, but it tells you that they ended up conspiring and they sold him into slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He becomes imprisoned. He's accused of rape. He's accused of all sorts of things he didn't do. He is forgotten and abandoned. And eventually God utilizes his life and he does something in his life and redeems the circumstance. But in the lives of the brothers, envy had the upper hand. So we see, we see it running in the family. We see how envy will hitch a ride on any vehicle. It doesn't matter. It just wants to get to your heart. It wants to take up residence, and it wants to run rampant, and it will, okay? It will absolutely ruin our lives. Why? Because envy is not concerned with my own happiness. Envy is obsessed with it. It is obsessed with us being happy and being fulfilled and being satisfied and having our way, getting our cake, eating our cake, and doing all of that stuff. It, go, it does that, but then it takes it a step further and it says, I resent your happiness. 
I want mine, but I absolutely resent yours. I want my happiness, but I cannot stand your happiness. I want my joy, but I can't stand it when I see you joyful. I want mine, and I don't want you to have yours. That's what it does. It's insidious. It's a curse. And that's why Proverbs says in verse 27, verse 4, that wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Now, we've spent a lot of time here. And this is not a profoundly crazy and complex message. Here's what I want you to also understand in Joseph's experience and in the lives of his brothers is that envy does not have the final word. Envy does not get the final word. If you were to look at his story and see how it progresses, it did not get the final word over Joseph's life. Envy did not have the final say. This 17-year-old, very honest, very handsome, very hated young man who becomes an older man, it did not have the final say in his, in his life. If you look at Acts chapter 7, and you find when Stephen is preaching his incredible message, he is being misunderstood. And he's preaching about all the patriarchs and everything that happened and what God was doing and how the people you know, have to receive the gospel. As he's preaching, he gives a summary of the things that happened in the past. He mentions the patriarchs. This is what he says. And the patriarchs being the brothers of Joseph. Reuben, Simeon, Judah, and all the brothers, right? It says this, those, uh, they became envious and sold Joseph into Egypt. But then what, what does it say right after that? It says, but God was with him. Can someone say amen? God was with him. If, if we look at his story and say, man, your brothers have been moved to envy. They have sold you into slavery. They have caused some pain in your life. They have introduced sorrow into your world. They have caused things to you to be separated from family, alienated, left alone, left uncertain, insecure, being accused, being in prison, being maltreated, all of these different things. If that's all we can say that envy has the last word, what do we tell Joseph? We don't say anything, but here's the deal. It's not the last word because God has the final say. And it tells us right after verse 10 of Acts chapter 7. And he delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt and made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. In other words, envy does not get the final word in our lives. The last word comes from God. If God is present with you, then it does not matter what envious thoughts, words, actions, or deeds have been perpetrated against you. If God is with you, God wins. You win. And that's not to say that they lose, but it's to say that God is with you. You will be victorious, period. God has the final word, and that is what happened to these guys. Jealousy that came from his very family. Envy that was percolated and, and nurtured and perpetrated against him from his very own home, his very own blood, did not have the final say over his life. Somebody here should be getting very excited. See, there's a great truth in Psalm 76 that says, Even the wrath of man will praise you, O Lord. 
Even the wrath of man will praise you, O Lord. See, all the animosity, all of the vitriol, all of the, the words and the accusations and all of the harm, all of the things that the world, that mankind could muster and use against God's people will actually serve God in his sovereignty to bring about his plan and his good in your life and in this world. That's why it says in Romans, all things work out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things. So all of their plotting, all of their scheming, all of their deal making, all of the things that are happening as you are just trying to do your very best and you're trying to keep your head down and, 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 and focus on your life and grow and, and move forward. All of the things that are happening around you, it will not have the ability to detract or take you out of God's will and plan. It didn't take Joseph. Praise God for that. So if you're a person who is prone to envy... Let me just tell you this. God might be putting you up in the first row, front row seat to observe and witness the success that is coming into the life of the person you're envious of. God might be putting you in the front row seat saying, oh, you're envious of that person. You don't like that. Let me just sit you right down here so you can watch it all. Because I want to teach you something. I want you to choose a different way of life. I want you not to get caught up in it because you can sit there and be envious all you want. You can have hurtful, malicious, animosity, all of these things, but it will not detract from my plan being fulfilled in that person's life. So you want to be envious? Come over here and just sit down, grab the popcorn and watch. I'm going to bring about my plan. Somebody, I am grateful for that. I am absolutely excited. Your envy does not stop God's work in people's lives. Now, if you're the person that likes to inflict envy, maybe you go on social media and you post because you want to make sure that other people know where they stand. I hope that's not anybody here, right? I'm speaking to people outside of these four walls. None of us post for the purpose of making other people envious. We don't do that. Well, let me just say, you might feel like what you're doing, the words you're saying, the things you're posting, the things you're doing, what you're declaring, what you're orchestrating for somebody else. You might think that that is destroying that other person. Huh, hello, newsflash. God will fulfill his plan. No, it's destroying you. When you go out to purposefully cause envy and jealousy and, and manipulate things in other people's lives, let me just tell you that it is first and foremost destroying your own life, not someone else's. Envy is a bitter pill to swallow. It's a toxin that runs rampant in our lives. Uh, Proverbs 14.30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bone. Rottenness to the bone. You might be unfollowing people, you might be blocking people, you might be cancel culturing people and all these different things. But let me just tell you, all that that is doing, maybe it'll put a setback in that person's life temporarily, but God will fulfill his plan. And you know what? You're just going to have to get even more frustrated when you see their victory and their success. So you got to learn how to deal with it. There was once a teacher, I'll invite the team to come on up and we'll wrap things up. There was a teacher who once told his students, I want you to go home. And I want you to write down each person that you envy. Write their name down. But hey, I don't want you to put it on a piece of paper. Go buy a sack of potatoes and put their name on a potato. Write, take one potato each, 
Maybe you have three people, you need three potatoes. Some of you need the whole bag. Go ahead and write their name on the potato. And then bring it to class. I want to talk about it. We're going to discuss this in the class. So the students were eager to complete the assignment. They went out. They grabbed potatoes. They went to the supermarket, some of them for the very first time, and they brought the potatoes. They wrote their names, and they dragged in the heavy sacks, and they came to class. And that day, the teacher didn't even mention them. He kept... He had a different lesson plan in place, and so they went through it. The kids came back the next day, and they brought their potatoes, expecting the teacher to talk about it again. He didn't. But he said, oh, yeah, yeah we're going to get to that. So, yeah, please, yeah, keep bringing them back. We're, we're gonna, we'll get to it next time. And they kept bringing it back over and over again. And every day, the students carried their potatoes with them, and the potatoes started to rot. And the potatoes started to smell. And these potatoes were, you know, causing them back pain because they were heavy as they had to lug their books and their bags, but also this sack of potatoes with them. And they're going into class day after day, week after week. And so the students who were so excited to share their grievances about their enemies, how this person doesn't deserve that marriage and how that person didn't deserve the wealth that they have and how this person is this or that and all of the stench and all of the rot that was, you know, in their bag. Follow them all around campus. And these kids became thoroughly sick of the assignment. They said, forget this. I did not want to leave potatoes out for a whole week or two and bring them in because some of you guys with sensitive, you know, noses might have missed the word of God for you because you would have said, I got to get out of the sanctuary. But I think you got the point. At last, the teacher said to the students, this situation is very similar to what you carry in your hearts when you don't like somebody. When you look at someone else's story and at someone else's life, someone else's victories and successes, and you hate them for it. Let's be honest. Sometimes when we see someone else's victory, we're almost kind of saying, man, I just wish that they would trip at least once. Like, I wish that they would just mess it up one time so that I don't feel like I'm a failure. Or they keep showing me how I'm not measuring up or whatever. Church, are we carrying a sack of potatoes? Because we got envy in our hearts towards somebody else or something else. Maybe for some of us, we need to start shifting our gears because Paul tells us that we're supposed to drop all bitterness, drop all envy and, and, and strife and idolatry and, and immorality. He tells us to drop all these different things. Maybe some of us, what we need to do is say, you know what? Instead of me envying my brother or sister, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a thank you note this week. I'm going to write it addressed to that person that I'm envying. And I'm going to say, well done. That was a good job that you did. Man, I was praying about, and actually, can you actually, how many of us say I'm praying for you, but that you don't pray? Write them a note. Get down on your knees and pray 
God's blessing over their lives and say, Lord, I thank you for giving them success in this area of their lives. Thank you, Lord God, for showcasing an incredible memory and, and post that they had there of their family. Lord, that inspires me. That's exciting. God, I want that for myself one day. Help me to become that way. And Lord, I know that behind the scenes, They've also got some sorrow. So maybe for some of us, what we need to do if we're grappling with envy is can you start thinking about the ordinariness of life? Can you start looking at those posts and looking at that family, looking at that colleague that just got the promotion and think about their life on a day-to-day -day basis and say, what are the natural, ordinary moments that this person goes through? Could it be that he's also trying to keep his wits and his mind about him as his kids are having a meltdown in the car? Because he's probably going through that too. Man, I get in the car. The other day, my wife brought Charlotte to school. And, and Gina said, the director there says, uh, oh, how was her morning? She said, oh, she had a bad morning. She was crying the whole way through. And then I, she told me about it. And I said, oh, no, she didn't have a bad morning. She had a normal morning. You're just not the person who drives her to school every day. So I do, and I see it every day she cries in the car. So you just experience an ordinary day. Maybe some of us, what we need to do is we need to say, I need to start unfollowing the people and the posts. I need to unsubscribe from the magazines, from the, from the TV shows that I know is stirring up envy within me. Maybe you need to curate your list a little bit better and just put on people that you actually know as opposed to people halfway around the world that you never meet and never know. And every time you look at their post, all you feel is envy and frustration. That might be a red flag to say, hey, great, I would pray for them first. You don't have to send them a letter around the world. Maybe you send them a DM, say, hey, congratulations for being the best soccer player in the whole world and showing me your, your mansions and your cars and all that stuff. But you know what? I got to unfollow you because this is not healthy for me right now. I wish you the best. God bless you. If you want to go and do that, do it. But maybe you just have to hit unfollow and go follow your friends here at church or your family member. Use social media to connect with the people that you actually know maybe. And follow them. And if, if there's something that they're posting that is stirring up envy inside of you, then maybe you need to take a break from that for a season. And say, I'm going to start subscribing to the things that are going to invite me to do better myself, but not going to kick me while I'm down saying, look at how I've failed. Because sometimes I'll tell you, I'll look at that Facebook, I'll look at that Instagram, look at that TikTok or whatever, and I'm like, man, I'm a loser. Man, my family, losers. Man, my, my wife, loser. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But how often do we look at that stuff and we start looking at ourselves because we see the highlight reels of somebody else and instead of it saying, man, you can do this because not many of them are saying, hey, look at my yacht and look at this and look at how I started this business and you can do the same. Now they'll say, hey, pay me a subscription fee of XYZ and I'll teach you how to do the same. It's, it's a platform. They're trying to make a business and all that kind of stuff, right? But maybe we just need to unplug a little bit. Think about the ordinariness of life. But then start a new list. And hey, you could do it today as you leave the sanctuary. You hang a right and up on the wall, 
there's a question. What are you thankful for? Just go over there. Write something down. Somebody in this congregation is thankful for cheeseburgers. Praise the Lord for that. But then some of you have written, I'm thankful for my family. Some of you have written, I'm thankful for God's forgiveness. Can you start putting your perspective and your eyes on the things you're thankful for? Because let me just tell you, when it came full circle and those envious brothers were standing before Joseph in the land of Egypt, when a famine is hitting the land and there's no food in sight, people are dying. Crops are failing. The livestock is diminishing. Let me just tell you, when it was revealed who Joseph was, he was the 11th brother that was sold into slavery. I got to tell you that they discarded and ejected envy from their hearts in that moment. And they grabbed hold of gratitude. My brother's alive. My brother is here. And Joseph said, that which you intended for evil, God has used it for good. Can you just start looking at the things that you're grateful for? Will you stand with me and I'll pray with you. Father, as we come to you this morning, I know for some of us, we're not going to have to wait till next Sunday or even Wednesday at small groups to figure out how this applies into our lives. We might leave, Lord God, this sanctuary and encounter an invitation for envy. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be recalibrated, that you would shift our hearts, Lord Jesus, to call upon your purpose and your will in our lives and the lives of those around us. Lord, if we can't be champions for others, whom you've said, Lord, we should love God with all our hearts and love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, I pray, if we can't do this yet, Lord, put us in the incubator where we can learn, Lord God, to be grateful where we, Lord Jesus, can look to you and find you in the midst of our sorrows and challenges. God, I pray that you would help us to see you in the middle of our crisis and, Lord God, our mistreatment, in the places where we're suffering the envy and wrath of others. Lord, I pray that we would just lay hold of your presence, that we would find you in the midst of our storm and crisis that we would not allow the root of bitterness to grow within our hearts, but Father, that we would say you are here with us and that gets the final say, that makes the final difference, that is the ultimate reality and therefore I will trust in you. Lord, help us to turn up the volume on gratitude. Change our hearts. Be with us and as we leave this place I pray Jesus that we would shut the door in our lives and in the relationships and conversations that we'll come into when the door is open to envy that we will shut that door quickly effectively efficiently and that God will choose to praise you
Lord, be with us as we go. Lead us in your word. Let the fellowship of, of God, the Holy Spirit, let the love of God and the grace of Jesus be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' mighty name, God bless you. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week.